right, everybody, welcome to the live I Can Do podcast with Adam Brennan and Sam Golden. How are you today, Sam? Good to have you on, buddy. I'm doing great, man. I'm glad to be here. Sam, I'm so excited to have you on. You've been a huge inspiration to me. We've met a couple of times and I just love the things that you've got going on and your willingness to help people around the game of golf, a, a sport that I've loved my whole life and been around the game and just the things that you're doing are really amazing again to connect with people and you know just tell me a little bit about your background and how you got started cool yeah I um interestingly I didn't start golfing until I was a senior in high school I had like I had you know seen it I'd hit some balls I played around in the backyard a few times but uh, didn't really play actual golf until I was a senior in high school a, a buddy of mine a, a later eventual buddy of mine was a really good golfer and we didn't have a golf team at our high school. So his grandfather actually funded this high school golf team. And so I was like, you know what? I, I think I could do that. I convinced my mom to give me a summer's worth of uh, allowance early and I got a set of clubs and I went to the driving range for like a week solid and just like worked my butt off. And then, then the tryouts for the next week. And I remember the coach walked by one day and he was like, kind of asking me questions. He's like, Sam, you know, are you, you've been doing this a long time. And I'm like, coach, just put me on the team. I've only been playing a week. I'm going to get good at this. I'm going to practice every day. Just put me on the team. And uh, he did, he put me on the team and I, I wasn't the greatest player on the team, but I played in the fourth spot and um, had a lot of fun playing. And then right after high school, you know, golf kind of went away for me. I was mostly like into skateboarding and stuff like that. And um, didn't really have the money or the access to play golf. Um, but then a golf course opened up while I was in college, a golf course opened up like, um, 15 minutes away from my house and I got a job there and I got unlimited golf balls and unlimited play whenever the course wasn't busy and I just got completely addicted. Um, and so, yeah, a, a year went by. So I went to college for a year. Then I basically like played my way out of college. Like I was practicing every day and like skipping class and getting terrible grades in college. Um, and then, and then that buddy from my high school came back in the summer like a couple of years after, like when he was in college, he came back and he, uh, he was like, dude, you got like really good. You could help our college team. Would you want to play college golf? And I was like, whoa, uh, I mean, I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess maybe I would. So I didn't really know what I was going to do with my life at that point. So I was like, sure, let's do it. So I went and played a, a round with the coach, played my butt, like played amazing. And he offered me a full scholarship. So I, I kind of like golf made me sort of forced me to drop out of college and then I earned a scholarship to get back into it uh, which was really cool and then after college I just I got crazy you know inspired with coaching I love helping people get better at the game and I to this day I'm extremely passionate about it um, it's not my number one thing anymore but I still do it every day because it's just it's one of the things those things that brings me joy and um, at, at some point after college, I'd been coaching for about five years and I started getting a lot, I was getting better and better and better, decided to start competing full-time. I moved from St. Louis or outside of St. Louis, where I grew up, I moved from there to Los Angeles just to be in a climate where I could compete and, and where there's many tours. And so I spent the next, you know, from 2009 to 2015, um, just trying to be a full-time competitive golfer. And I uh, didn't make any money at that really won some tournaments, but you know, as, as a not PGA tour player, even if you're playing great, you, it's hard to make money and make that a consistent thing. 
And then, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of got out of the game due to some, a buddy of mine asked me if I'd help him start a golf app. And, and I was like, sure, you know, that sounds really fun and creative. And so I helped him and, and, and being away from it for a little bit gave me enough perspective to realize that playing wasn't as, it wasn't as much my passion as coaching um, and helping others in the game. So when, when I finished that golf app or I left the company, it just became, um, yeah, it was just really evident that, that I wanted to focus more of my efforts on helping other people play golf rather than um, trying to be a professional golfer. So that's kind of the path I went down from there. And then uh, to finish it up, I, I, you know, when I, when I stopped playing full-time, I, I had an online golf instruction platform at that point. I had published like four or five books and it was time for me to uh, kind of transition into a, a, a virtual coach or an online coach. And since I didn't really have a home base and didn't really need one, that required a golf course or, you know, for me to teach lessons in person, uh, I ended up deciding to move to Puerto Rico and uh, where I had been and fell in love with the area and everything. I moved to Puerto Rico and lived there and, and created content for two years. And then after Hurricane Maria in 2017, I moved back to the U.S., back to L.A. Um, and, and came up with the idea to start Minimal and Well, that's great. I want you to get into minimal golf because it, it really is a incredible concept. It's a really unique and fun hip golf bag. You know, uh, we'll get hopefully we'll get a demonstration here. It's 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 really cool and it brings the modern technology of today's world into a sport. You know, where people are always looking for convenience number one, and they're looking for that great technology. And your bag has it all in it. Talk about your bag and where the inspiration came to create the bag. Yeah, the um, so I'll, I'll just grab the bag so you can see it. The, you guys, uh, check this out. This thing is so great. It reminds me of the movie Caddyshack. I'm sure you've heard that a bunch of times. Check this out, guys. It's, go ahead. So it comes with, first of all, we make two colors, we make white and black, just a very sleek kind of modern design bag, but it comes with, you can get it kind of like naked or, or without the tech, but if you want, you can order the tech, which includes a Bluetooth speaker and then a solar, solar power bank here. So you can charge your phone when you're out on the golf course. And then a couple of the other features that are really cool, this pocket right here, when your bag's on its stand, it, you can slip your phone in here and that helps you it turns the bag into a tripod so you can film your swing if you're out there practicing or if you want to see what your swing looks like on the course it makes it really easy to film your swing and then we've got this side little slip pocket for a range finder on this side this this pocket is a little slip pocket for your phone it's really convenient if you're walking it's in a great spot and then all the pockets the other pockets are magnetic so instead of having a zipper which as most people know is the number one failure on a golf bag or any bag for that matter or, or jacket too um, all the pockets are magnetic, so super easy to get open and close, and they're really, really strong and durable. And then we've got some hidden pockets in here, which is actually how you and I got introduced, because I was looking for a bar to take with me on the golf course. I, I have some here, the Keto Crisp. I was looking for a bar to take with me on the golf course, and we've got this granola bar pocket in here. I actually have a bar in here, too. But... Um, yeah, it's in this the thermal pocket where you can put ice. There's some drainage holes in here. If you wanted to have a beverage with you on the course, you can keep it in this thermal pocket. But inside there, we've got a little a little pocket here 
because a lot of people like like a chocolate bar for the golf course and if you have chocolate in a bag it's going to get hot and melt and right. that's not that's not going to be ideal for uh you know, it's happened to every single person who's played golf. You reach into your bag and you've got this melty, plasticky mess. And so that's right. the great the great thing about that pocket being a thermal pocket. It'll keep it cool and keep it from melting on you. So that's kind of the bag in a nutshell. Um, we've been around since we, we launched. I got our first shipment of bags December 31st of 2019. So New Year's Eve, this huge truck shows up and I unloaded 400 golf bags and jammed them in my studio here. And then... Uh, and yeah, we, we sold um, through 2020, we sold those bags in a couple more orders. And now we're here in 2021 and, and just trying to fulfill bags as, as often and quickly as possible. Uh, golf is booming right now, as you know, and it's like nearly impossible to keep up with demand, but we're doing our best. And we just got another huge tractor trailer with 750 bags in it like a week ago. So um, shipping out a ton of bags this week and we've got a bunch more on order. So it's been really fun. But yeah, the inspiration, it's like, you know, as a coach and, and as a player in the game, I was explaining this the other day, I've played a, a more golf than, than about 99% of the world will ever play. I played every single day for 20 years. So I have learned things about what, a, what would make a golf bag great from a perspective of somebody who's used one in 36 hole walking competitions um, in, where you're walking 36 holes in a day or you're playing in rainy conditions or you're playing in sunny conditions or you're riding on a cart or you're playing nine holes with your buddies. I have played in all of those areas and I have coached players in all those areas. So some of the features on the bag that I find really, really valuable, another player may never, never see the value in it. You know, they, they may never get to that point where they're like, oh, that's why, that's why that pocket is like that. And, and that's okay. And some people will, and they'll be like, dude, that's why that pocket's like that. This, this is great because. Um, exactly. Case in point, like with your magnetic zippers, zippers always break. You got to reach down and pull them up and it's a pain, it's a pain in the butt. So this yeah, makes how many perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. and with your years of experience, just listening, I can tell you're an excellent listener, you know, and you've been around the game and you just, you observe people so well. And that's why you're so in tune with golf and you know so it's it, it's a perfect match it's, it, it really is really awesome what you're doing it's great yeah it's cool and i think you know you're right as a as a coach our, the best thing that i can do that i've found is to ask a lot of questions and yeah. i have a very socratic coaching method i i don't tell my students how to do really anything i've got a lot of content online which in that situation you obviously can't ask a question because no one can answer the question back to you but um, but in an in-person lesson, I never tell my students how to do anything. I ask them questions to engage them and get them to really understand their answer and own their answer and then ultimately own their swing. And so in that process, you learn a lot. Like every single lesson I learn from my students because I'm not there telling them how to do it. I'm there asking them what they think they should do in order to achieve it. And so I, yeah, in, in that way, I'm, I'm sort of that's my coaching philosophy is to be a listener and an, an absorber yeah i think you know it, it's it's so true everybody's got a different uniqueness body shape type and how they they make the club work everybody wants to kill the ball and, and not let the club do the work so your job i would assume i've never picked up a golf in my life 
club in my life being in a chair, but I've watched people all the time and all they want to do is crush the ball. And I just tell them, guys, let the club do the work. You just do the swing and talk about the swing that you created, the, the square to square golf swing. It sounds great. Yeah, it's simple. I mean, that's, you know, it's uh, and the that, bag and is. That, and, and I don't <laughs> want to interrupt, but that's what you got to do. You got to keep golf simple because there's a yeah. lot of moving parts. Yeah, there can be. I mean, there are, there are, there's, there are an infinite number of movements that make up hitting a golf ball. And so I think it's common for our intellectual side, for our, us as humans, as intellects, especially as adults to want to, to analyze every single movement. But the reality is there are more movements than we could ever intellectually analyze. And the further down that road you go, the more complex you're making this thing and it's, it's crazy. You know, I, I, I've had some experience in competitive golf where I was just so mentally exhausted at the end and just thinking to myself, why is this so hard? That guy I was playing with just got up there and hit the ball and like shot five shots better than me. And he wasn't thinking about his swing. He wasn't thinking about what he was doing. So the square to square swing, it's, it's an amalgam. It, it's, it's like, you know, it took me 10 years to get there and then five more years of coaching it to really understand what it is. And at this point, it's very evident to me that it is just the, it is just the goal of hitting a golf ball is so finite and so absolute. There's really only one factor that's involved in hitting a golf ball. And that is that the club is used correctly, which means that the ball hits in the sweet spot. And in order for the ball to hit the sweet spot, I've got a club right here, so I'll, I'll demonstrate quickly. In order for the ball to hit the sweet spot, the club has to be in a certain alignment dependent on its loft. So if I've got a pitching wedge, which is what I'm holding right now, and the ball's sitting on the ground and the club's sitting right there beside it, if I hold it the way most people hold it, the ball's gonna make contact about the first groove on this club, which is not the sweet spot. Sweet spot's actually about the fourth groove on the club. Most clubs, it's about the fourth groove. So if I want to hit the fourth groove, the handle of the club or the face needs to be leaning forward somewhat. And so when I lean that face forward, I line up to the sweet spot. And then if I look at every single player on the PGA Tour at impact with a pitching wedge, they're in this alignment, every single one of them, because they all hit the sweet spot. So if you simplify it down and you say, what's the goal? How does this thing work? You have to hit the sweet spot. So to hit the sweet spot, the club has to be leaning in this way. If the club's leaning in that way, it sets us up already in some alignments and some positions that we may not come to intuitively unless we think about the way the club needs to strike the ball. So for me as a coach, that's the first thing is helping people understand how these things work. And most of the time, when, you, when we talk about that one fundamental of the alignment of the club to hit the sweet spot, it, not most of the time, all the time, that one fundamental develops a swing that allows for that or optimizes for that based on the player's body. So the square to square swing is just sort of like a very short checklist of things that can help you understand that goal and help you understand the easiest way to achieve that goal. But ultimately, you don't need me to tell you how to do it. You just need to know exactly how this thing works. And then you need to practice trying to do it um, with that right. same intention. And so like the, the ebook on Square to Square, all of the 600 videos I've made on, on Square to Square Swing, they're all really valuable in helping people conceptually understand a simpler way to get the job done. 
but it doesn't mean that it's the only way to do it. It just is another way to do it. And as you know, the golf bag is very minimalistic in design and, and I try to keep the features as just the essentials and, and eliminate all the clutter. And it's the same way in the golf swing. I think the less clutter, the less you have to try to think about and do in your swing, the more, the better your performance is going to be. What advice do you give to a, be a beginner uh, who's just getting started in golf, you know, and, and ha has wanted, you know, to get out there and, and, you know, get started? What's one of the first things that you would, you would advise them or kind of coach them on? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked. It's actually, you know, I think most coaches probably tend to, and myself included for a while, we, we think the better of a coach we become, the higher level players will coach. And so, you know, you start out teaching junior golfers and then you, and beginners, and then you start teaching better golfers. And as you get better as a coach, you start teaching tour players. Um, but actually my favorite lessons to give are the lessons to beginners, because those are the most valuable lessons that, that they're ever going to have. And to answer the question, the number one thing that we work on in anybody's first lesson is making solid contact, understanding what solid contact is. And we start with a very simple, short shot, 15 yards. I start everybody with a 15 yard shot with a pitching wedge with this guy right here. And we just try to help. We just want to understand where the sweet spot is and then see if we can make a little baby swing and hit the sweet spot. And most right. people, most people start the game like trying to make a full swing with, and they're trying to learn the swing with all 14 clubs on the same day and it's just not it's, overwhelming. it's never going to happen it's overwhelming we don't know which club does what really and, and really to play the game you don't need 14 clubs at some level they they have value it has value to have more clubs but certainly in the beginning the less clubs you have the less your brain has to manage as far as learning this skill of hitting the ball so we start really small i would tell everybody it's hard to not see it in an in-person lesson but i would tell everybody get a pitching wedge I have these little stickers that, that I put on the club that show it's called impact tape. It shows where the ball hit on the club. Get those stickers, put them on the club so you can see where the ball's hitting and go out there and just do some little tiny swings until you can hit the sweet spot consistently. Once you can hit the sweet spot consistently, then you can start making bigger swings. And once you own pitching wedge, once you can use pitching wedge correctly, then go ahead and try an eight iron or a seven iron or something. Right. And correct me if I'm wrong, Sam, the, the key is just getting the movement down with your arms and kind of training your body. Like a lot of times I have guests, you know, because we're, we're in the food business, we talk about, you know, eating the right foods and how it's a lifestyle. It's not a diet, but I assume there's similar characteristics in the golf swing is you got to train your body, the language of golf and, and talk about, you know, the mechanics of using your body appropriately. You've touched on it by hitting the right spots on the golf club, but, but the mental aspect and the physical aspect are equally as important. Absolutely. So I would say the, the thing that the, the, the hardest thing for me to do right now is to help people understand my biggest challenge in every lesson is I want them to leave knowing that if they just understand the goal, that their body will naturally adapt to that goal in their body's way. For instance, you don't, you're not standing the same way I am next to a golf ball, right? right? But you could hit a ball. There's a lot of guys who 
in, in, in a wheelchair, most people are sitting sideways, like yep. in a chair I'm sitting right now, holding the club in one hand and swinging like this. And they, they can be very efficient and effective golfers if they can hit the sweet spot. And so they can't make a shoulder, a very big shoulder turn. They can't make a leg drive. They can't bend their knees. They can't have the right posture. They can't keep their head. So there's a million things they can't do that in most golf instruction books, they say are essential, but the only real one essential thing is hitting the sweet spot. So if you understand and that, I would say, because we are on the can do podcast is you got to have that can do attitude. And if you yes. want to learn, of course, and if you want to learn to do something, whether golf, whether it be life, whether it be diet, if you have the attitude, which we have, you can do anything. Absolutely. It's, it's just the same way in surfing. Like I decided at the age of 36, I wanted to be a great surfer. I have goals of getting air and surfing. I surf every single day. I think I'm 42 now. I think at some point, I pretty soon, I'm going to be able to get air on a surfboard, on a shortboard, like a of like what looks like a pro surfer. And like, I think my attitude has always been that unless there's some obvious reason that you can tell me that I can't do it, then I can. And Adam, I would love, I would love to show you that you can play golf. You, you could play golf tomorrow with me. All I you have to do. When are we, when are we setting a lesson? I swear, I can't wait. Honest we, to we, God, I'm honored. We will, we will. But I want to say one more thing about that, the, the mechanics yeah. of it. The, the mechanics are pretty simple. The club has to be held securely. Otherwise, it's going to fly out of your hands, right? And so however you hold it, it doesn't really matter. Little kids always hold it like this with their hands really far apart because they don't have strong wrists. And they, they need to secure the club. So a lot of parents will be like, hey, put your hands like this. Put your hands like this. And, and the kid is fighting against it because he can't control the club when his hands are like this. So, so let your hands, whatever hands you've got, whatever body you've got, whatever power you have, let your hands find a place that, that creates support for this club that allows you to hit the sweet spot. Just entrust that, like exactly what you said, trust that you will find a way to get the job done if you maintain that one singular and accurate intention. It's very much like I have this pitcher who I coach, uh, Ricky Romero is like a he was like an all-star pitcher, rookie of the year, uh, major league pitcher. And he was taking some lessons and we were talking about, you know, what it means to hit the sweet spot with different clubs. And at one point he was like, Sam, I get it, but how do I do it? And I said, Ricky, if you were throwing me a ball and I was standing across the street over there and you were just tossing me a ball, I'm not a catcher. I'm just holding the glove. Show me what you do to toss me a ball. And he's like, okay, like that. I'm like, cool. All right. What if you had to throw the ball and keep it under the ceiling in here in my studio. How would you throw it then? And he's like, oh, okay, like that. And then I'm like, okay, what if the ceiling's six feet high? How would you throw it to me if the ceiling was six feet high? And he's like, well, okay. And he does this, these three insanely different movements, right? right? Without thinking about the angle of his elbow and his shoulder turn and his hip rotation and his foot placement and his head movement. He didn't think about any of that. He just knew he had to get the ball from here to there. And he understands gravity because he's been living in this world for a while and he's held a baseball before. So he knew to just, he'd had to throw it harder and he had to throw it low. So, so we, we are really good. Humans are really good at adapting to our environment to get a job done. We just need yeah. to trust that we, we can do it. We need to trust that with the right information about how, uh, sorry, with the right information about what our body will figure out how to get it done. 
You know what I think that's so cool about that? You took his gift being a professional athlete or not even a professional athlete, a skill that he already knew. Like, for example, when you sit down with me, you're going to ask me certain questions. Adam, how would you do this rotation? And then you'll fit the golf swing to things that I've already done to kind of build off of that, I would assume. Yeah, it's like you, it's like you said before, like that's a very Socratic um, method kind of approach for me to ask him, how would you throw me a ball? And then how would you throw me a ball? And then how would you throw me a ball? It's very much like you have the answers. You just need to, the enlightenment comes from the question that sparks the answer for you. Yes. Um, and then, and then finally, one more thing about, you said, what, what's some advice you would give a beginner golfer? This is one that I feel like has stuck pretty well. An orchestra has like, I don't know how many different mu musical instruments, like let's just say 30, I don't know, maybe it's 16, maybe it's 60, but let's say there's like a 30 piece orchestra, this insane, beautiful orchestra. If you're a little kid or a beginner musician and you say, man, it's my dream to one day play in that orchestra, it wouldn't be wise for you on Monday to practice piano, Tuesday, practice the oboe, Wednesday, practice the saxophone, Thursday, practice the guitar. You know, you wouldn't go, if you went every day and practiced a different instrument, you would never be good at any of them. Right. But if, but if you spent a couple months learning the piano, you would learn so much about music that when you grab the saxophone or when you grab the guitar, they'd be way easier to use. And I often relate the pitching wedge, hitting the sweet spot with the pitching wedge is like learning to play the C major scale on a piano. You learn so much just by learning to use this one that when you do try to pick up another instrument, it's so much easier. So my advice is know exactly what you're trying to do with this guy, with one, one instrument. Get it down to a level of competency and then learn another instrument and then learn another one. You know what's funny is people always want to go to the driver. Yeah, the, the, the hardest instrument to play. I don't know what that is. In, in well, because it's it's all about the power. And again, we talked about earlier in the show is they want to be able to crush it 400 yards. And it's yeah. about get, getting the swing down and letting the club do the work and just sweep it, you know, and just have a nice, easy swing. Yeah, it's, it's it, you're right. It's um, And I understand it, too, because when I first started golfing, that was the club I wanted to hit. Right. And even when I first started coaching, I, I, I remember coaches saying, you've got to start from the, the putting green back. And I was like, nobody's going to take lessons from somebody who won't work with them on their driver. And to this now, I'm like, yeah, that old guy knew what he was talking about. Right. <laughs> now I'm like, I won't work with you on your driver, period. You, by the time you've had three or four lessons with me, you never need another lesson. You're done. You don't need, once you understand the goal, of how, to, how these things work. You don't need lessons. You need feedback. You need to be able to see what happened when you hit the shot. Did it do what you expected it to do based on what you know about this club? And if it didn't, you need to practice, but that's it. Like, I, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna tell anyone how to do it. I'm only gonna explain how the club works and what needs to happen in order for this club to be a successful club. And at that point, the how is all your job. And the how takes years. I'm sure as part of the lesson, you evaluate the golfer and see how, you know, how they're, you know, take them through that process and, you know, show them how to do it. 
Of course. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, if, if you came to me for a piano lesson, I would say, okay, the white, this, this white key right here, when you press it down, open up the back, see how the, the hammer hits the string and that string makes a vibration and that makes the sound. That's how this thing works. And the smaller the string, the higher the frequency of the sound. And so look, see how the strings go this way and these keys up here go higher and these go lower. Okay. That's the instrument. That's what we're using. Yeah. So you understand the instrument. Now let's learn about how C's and G's go together because they're on a similar frequency. So listen to how nice it sounds when we hit C and G together and how ugly it sounds when we hit A minor and B together, you know, like under, understanding the instrument fully. Once you understand the instrument, you can then make music on your own. You can then right. literally say, oh, I like the way this sounds. Ooh, what if I put this sound with this sound? Well, I know that won't work because that, that won't match that frequency, but this sound sounds nice. And you can, you can make whatever beautiful music you want to make once you fully understand the instrument. And so my job, I feel as a coach in the first three or four lessons or in those three or four lessons is to really help you understand the instrument, really understand how this thing works. And when you hit a shot and I love coaching on a simulator, um, you know, like, like pilots use simulators a lot to, to learn. I love coaching on a simulator because the feedback is so precise. We can say, hey, did, it, did you use it right? Did it make the right sound? You know, is that a G? Is that, is that what it's supposed to sound like? Is that what it's supposed to do? And it can be one degree off. And if you're off by one degree, if you were playing music, you'd tune the thing a little bit to get it right. right on G. And you can do that with your golf swing too. And when you have that feedback and you know how the club works, you can constantly be tuning and just getting better and better and better. So I try to keep my instruction. I try to keep instruction out of it as much as possible because I, I believe that the learning process is the most valuable part. And if I'm instructing, that student isn't learning. Learning to me is, ah, I swung the club. I had this intention. I swung the club. It didn't work. I'm going to try it again and see if I can if I can get it right the second time. And I'm going to I'm going to myself learn how to use this thing the right way. So I, I really want to give the student the agency or the power or empower the student to be their own coach and to be learning all the time rather than be relying on me for instruction. Right. I want to take you back. When was the aha moment where you knew that coaching was for you? Because you're really, I, I love your passion about it. And you're, you're really a, a tactician, if you will. You know, so take me back to where you're like, man, was there, was there a certain person that inspired you to say, man, this is, this is where I need to be. You, you kind of touched on it. You got burned out from being on tour and trying to be a professional and you really, you got involved in, in teaching and you really, you know, became to it, fell in love with it, so to speak. Was there, was there a day or a, a guy or, or a person that, it, you know, it's like, wow. Yeah, I think, you know, I, whatever it is, my mom's a teacher, my dad's a teacher and an artist and, and my mom's an artist. And I think I just grew up. My, the reason I use piano a lot as a, as a uh, metaphor is because my mom taught piano when I was growing up as a kid. And, so do you know and how to play the piano? I can play one song really, really well. I can play the pitching wedge. I can, play, I can play one song really, really well. Um, but I, I, yeah, both of my parents are teachers and I think probably genetically I'm just predisposed to love it. I, I've been doing it every, since I was a little kid, I've always, you know, seen somebody and thought, 
I can help that person do this better or understand this better. I have a very sort of like engineering or geometrically uh, adept mind, um, did well on that, those sections of the, the IQ test and stuff like that. So I, I think I just, I love taking things apart. I love, you know, puzzles and, and figuring the thing out. And then I love helping other people figure it out too. And even when I was like, just learning how to golf, when I was like 19, 20 years old, I was, as I learned how these things started working or started to learn how these things work, I started other guy next to me on the driving range. I'd be like, Hey man, like, did you know, I just learned this thing. This is how you curve the ball from right to left instead of left to right. You want me to show you, like, I can show you how that works. And I just started doing it then. And then, I mean, and then to be like, as a career, while I was in college, I was studying to be a teacher. I wanted to be a high school teacher. And at the same time, I would go back in the summer and I would see the head pro who didn't really love coaching, but he'd go down to the driving range for an hour once a day and make 80 bucks for that hour. He was making more money in that one hour than I made all day washing carts and cleaning golf balls and picking the right. range and stuff. I was like, dude, 80 bucks an hour. If I work four hours a day, you know, I start doing the math and I'm like, this is a very lucrative way to make money. You know, me coming yeah. from a small town, you know, $40,000 a year was a solid salary back in 2002. You know, I was and like, I'll take something it. you love, which is most important. Yeah. And doing something I love. So I, I, I quickly realized that that was going to be my, you know, it was my passion and it was my path. And I don't, I, it's not that I only coach golf. I, I would coach, I would help anybody learn anything that I felt like I understood well enough to share that knowledge with. I coach uh, tennis. I have a great student who I coach. Uh, he plays professional tennis. I coached him when he was at UCLA. He was number one player at UCLA um, on the tennis team. And I don't coach tennis mechanics, but we talk about belief and we talk about what it's going to take to help him believe that he has the ability to be number one in the world in tennis, because at this point, well, it's always about belief, right? Like we talk about this, it's yeah. the mindset. If you, if you don't have belief, it's because you don't have experience performing at a level that, that builds you, that, that builds that belief. So for Gage, the, the situation was when he was a senior in high school, he was really, really good, but he wasn't as good as some other people in certain areas. His forehand was a little bit weaker. His serve was a little bit weaker. And so over the next few years, it was like, what, what do we do to build up the belief that you're better, that you're good enough to beat these guys? Well, okay, you got to get your forehand better so that you believe that you're good enough. As long as you feel your forehand is a weakness, you're not going to believe you're good enough to win. So he worked on his mechanics for a few years. And then, and then just looking at examples of like, how should, why should I believe I'm good enough to beat this guy? I don't know. Have I ever beat anybody he's lost to maybe? Oh, he lost to that guy and I beat that guy in junior tennis. Okay, there's one indication. There's one thing that I can point to that I can say, I believe that I could beat that guy. And then you just fill up the bucket with reasons to believe that you're good enough to win. And once you build enough belief, then if you have more belief than the other guy, I have a, a very high confidence level that you will win. It's the, it's, it's the one who believes it more. There's a, you exude it. You know, you know, you're going to lose the second, you know, you're going to lose. <laughs> and if you know, you're going to win, you're going to win. Exactly. I always say confidence, success breeds success. Yes. You know, uh,
confidence breeds confidence. Put yourself in positions to be successful, not to don't put yourself in positions to fail. And I think that's really important. And you touch on a, a really uh, important topic, which is understanding and to be able to explain that. And that's part of coaching is to build up the confidence and define, you know, areas that, that you can tell people, hey, this is what you're good at. What have you, what have you done? Let's build on the positive. Let's go with that. Yeah, yeah fill up the tank. Fill up the tank of as many positive outcomes as you can. And that goes back to this thing. If you can, if, if you can just hit this thing successfully and build up that skill, then you've got some confidence. You know how to use this clubs. And that's, that's number one, get confident, know how to use this club, be sure about this club, and then go on to the next one. And I compare it to surfing a lot too, that most people who, when they start surfing, they start out on a big giant board in a small wave and they have somebody give them a nudge and they have some success. They stand up on the board. But if you took one of my short boards out, if you took one of those out to Hawaii and, and you tried to paddle into a wave with with one of those boards, if you did that every day for three years, you would never, ever learn to right. surf. You're right. You have to understand the element in which you're in and, and what level of the sport you're at. Like, you also do skateboarding. You're not going to go do a half pipe 360, whatever the <laughs> hell you call it right away. You're going to just start. No, up, you'll to, die. Yeah. You're yeah. just going to tinker around with it. Just, you know, have that exploratory mindset. I just want to see if I can, what can I do with this? Yeah. And it's funny. I, I've learned more on a skateboard in the last few years than I, than I, I did. I, I learned faster on a skateboard now because I understand those building blocks. Um, that's really all they are. So I, I recently learned to do backside 50, 50 grinds on my ramp. Did you know I had a ramp in here? Yes. Like, I my, saw, I saw yeah. So, so the other night I was, I, I learned to do backside 50, 50 grinds on the ramp and I've never been able to do them because I never had a ramp growing up. And uh, it's not a complicated trick for anybody who's like a good ramp skater. But I was like, I want to learn to do that trick. Can we can we put it to work right now live on yeah, the yeah, yeah. podcast? <laughs> yeah, we can. We I can. Mean, come on. We, oh, man. I have to. So as you know, as well, I'm moving out of this space into uh, into my new studio. So I've kind of got, let's see, we'll use the golf bag as a tripod. I've kind of got right, a lot of junk. Check everywhere. out this golf bag. And before we go, Sam is going to tell us all about it and how you can get a hold of one. These things are absolutely incredible. All right. We're going to try not to mess up the, uh, the stuff that I've got stored on the top of the ramp right now. Can you still hear me okay? Yeah, we can hear you perfect. This is great. All right. So I'm going to show you how I learned it. I started a backside 50 50 grind, is you ride up and then you grind on, on the trucks, the things between the wheels on the coping on this metal part and then you come back down and it's tricky because you can get stuck up there you can get kind of caught at the top so i learned it by just doing this so started there then i was like all right i got the feel for that got the feel for that and so i just spent a lot of time just really trusting that i could make that move across the ramp and then i went Nearly, not bad for my first try today. I just learned them the other That's day. That's awesome, dude. Keep you can see how That's the awesome. <laughs> it's kind of cool, right? So the process is really easy. You just at the level that you can achieve it, you you achieve success at the level at which you can guarantee success. 
and then you go one inch higher and then you go one inch higher and then you go one inch higher and then the then eventually you're on the you're on the coca exactly just, you know what i what i love is you start small so that you achieve success right off the bat and then you believe yeah. in yourself and you believe in your skill because all that stuff can be overwhelming overwhelming is intimidating and you can get hurt on a skateboard <laughs> especially if you're 42 you know like right. uh, you know maybe at 10 years old when i was first learning how to skateboard i would have just went right for the coping and fallen really hard 15 times and gotten back up but at this point i don't want to fall you know i want to i want to have success i want to have 99 successes before i try that that hundredth one that requires the most the highest level of perfection so yeah, start small, learn the piano, learn the pitching wedge on a yes. small chip, get, get it down, get success, get confident, build that, and then go one notch up, and then one notch up, and then one notch up. And if you ever fall, if you ever fail, go back down a notch and build up the confidence again and then go up again. You know, I always say every day you try to get yourself out of the comfort zone, and that's how you expand, you know, so... Every day, try to put yourself to do a little yes. bit more. That's right. And, and, you know, work at your own pace. Everybody knows their, their comfort level, stay in their zone. But try to squeeze a little bit out of yourself more every day. And, and before you know it, you, you, you've got something. Yeah, one inch up, at a time. Yeah. And wrapping up here, Sam, thank you so much. How do people get a hold of you? How do you have so much content out there? So many hours of golf instruction. You know, such a tactician, you know, how do people get a hold of you? The easiest way to get a hold of me, I mean, I think probably the two places you want to go are samgoldengolf.com, which is my website, which has a lot of organized content and different membership levels. So if you want, if you want to see all of my content and different courses that are sort of just organized from driver to to long irons, hybrids, fairway woods, putters, all that stuff. Um, my website, samgoldengolf.com. That's the place to go for the golf, uh, conceptual golf understanding stuff. Minimal golf, just, just like it sounds, M-I-N-I-M-A-L, minimalgolf.com is the website for the golf bags. And we just got our version two bags in uh, a few days ago, and they'll be gone probably in about two weeks. So. Uh, if you want to get a bag, now's the time. And if you order, if you order soon, I don't know when you're going to hear this podcast, but you, the bags always get to you in four or five days. So right now it's Monday. If you, if you somehow got this order in, in uh, a couple days, you would have it um, before the weekend. So, so yeah, I guess most people are going to get your bag, get your keto crisp bar. Um, no, yeah, get your bag and then keep your keto crisp bar in the little pocket and you'll be all set. You'll have everything you need for a good round of golf. Yes, Sam, it's great chatting with you today. Thanks so much. I really, really appreciate it. Any questions Dude. for me? Man, we need another whole podcast for that. <laughs> I let's mean, go. I, I think let's do another one. How about this? Why don't you why don't we play our round of golf? We'll do some yes. feedback from the round of golf and we'll talk about you. And, uh, and your experience in learning golf and how that relates to other things you've done in your life. I would love to. I would love to. Thank you so much again, Sam. It's been great chatting with you today and uh, we'll be in touch here real soon. And congrats on all the success with the golf bag. I think it, 
it's great and uh, it's it's a lot of fun to see the progress you know from start to finish you know it's really really cool and exciting thanks man i really appreciate it i'm i'm glad we well we're very like minded so I, I knew we'd get along really well right from the start but i'm glad we had this opportunity to chat yes my man thank you so much and we'll talk to you later and uh, i have uh, you know and and sorry for going off track i asked people uh, what is your biggest can-do moment in your life? Mine is, you know, having go, losing 75 pounds by changing my diet and, and really learning the keto lifestyle. What is your biggest can-do moment? There have been a few, but I would say the biggest moment for me kind of, I was in, so in 2012, I was traveling the country playing qualifying events for the PGA Tour. And yep. I didn't have any money. And so I was sleeping in my car a lot. I didn't have money for practice rounds. I didn't have money for range balls. I didn't have money for anything other than the event. Um, and, <laughs> and at one point, I, uh, I have this friend who's a famous musician, Ben Harper. We skateboard together. And Ben Harper, you know, he's just, he was just, we just got along because we skateboarded together. And at one point I was in Houston and I was broke and I was kind of like on the verge of tears. And I sent him this email and I was like, dude, anything, like any, any words of inspiration uh, that you can give me. And he just gave me this super like simple, it was this time I had like, couldn't find my car. I, I was like walking the course late at night because I, I didn't have money for a practice round. So I snuck in after hours and I was walking the course and mapping it out the night before my tournament. And I, and I got turned around and I lost where I was and it's, you know, two in the morning and I don't know where my car is. And I finally found it. And I told him this story about it. And, and so, it, so I wrote him, I was like, man, any words of inspiration? And he, he was like, Sam, if you can find your car in, in the middle of the night in Houston, you'll find your way out of this jam too. And I don't know why, I mean, it doesn't make a ton of sense as I, as I say it, but like, it's just something about like it's gonna be okay like you're gonna it's gonna work out you, like it's not a yeah. big deal and, and so right. every a lot of times when there's been moments like that where i've been like holy shit how am i gonna make this work it's like every other time every right. single other time i've figured out a way to get through it so i'm gonna get through this one too exactly and just, you know, be creative, be patient, believe in yourself, believe in the people around you, and you, you'll get there. Yeah, it's just, and sometimes it's just that word patience. Like, I, I'm moving into my new studio. I had, a, you know, there's about a million things going on right now. The golf bag shipment, Father's Day is coming up, all this stuff's going on. It's like the most tumultuous time in my life, for sure, today, right now, most tumultuous time in my life. But like a week ago, I was like, you know, in 30 days, it's all going to be over. You're going to be past all of it in 30 days. It's like you, it's like you paddle out into the lake and then the lake becomes rapids. And then after the rapids becomes another lake. And it's like, all right, well, I got in this raft and, and I'm in, I'm in the first section of the rapids and eventually the rapids are over and we're in the lake again. And it's like, and in my, in my head, I was like, it's going to be about 30 days. So I just got to wait. I did not wait. I've got to do the work every day, but like in 30 days, I can, I can relax in the, in the raft 
and just be like, those were some rocky rapids, but here we are in another pool of water that's super chill. And sometimes it's just patience. Sometimes it's just like, this is going to pass eventually. And I just have to work it out, wait it out, work it out, go through it. Right. Just be patient. Let it come to you. And sometimes it's, it's easier said than done because you want to get in there. You want to fix it. But sometimes you just have to let it roll. Yeah. Take I mean, it. when you're in, the, when you're in the raft, you're going to end up, you're going to end up at the end, no matter what. Right. So exactly. Like, you don't you have know. any control over it. Yeah, it's like just roll with it, man. You're in this. You're in this for the ride, and and yeah, just I, I think sometimes being able to say where am I going to be in 30 days, and then like, all right, well, okay, I can live with where I am now because I know where I'm going to be in 30 days. That's helpful to me sometimes. So yes, maybe that's helpful to other people. Well, again, Sam, it's great chatting with you. Thanks so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Best of luck in all the things that you're doing. It's great. I love the passion with the lessons and the golf bag and, and, and everything around golf and really at the crux of it, being able to help people and, you know, making people lives better each and every day. And, and that's what it's all about. So thank you very yeah, much. hundred percent. You got all it. All right, my man. Have a great rest of your afternoon and uh, we'll talk soon.